Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you here this morning. It's a wonderful time of the year, this wonderful season that we get a chance to be a part of and remember who, who Jesus Christ is. When we think about the Advent season in and of itself, it's that time of remembering. It's that time of preparing. My name is Scott Stevens, for those of you who are visiting or are on the webcast, and I'm the counseling pastor at Pendleton Street Church. As we mentioned before, the the scripture passage was Romans 5, 1 through 11. Over the next four Sundays, we'll be celebrating the Advent season. And the word Advent, as, as Marty mentioned before, means coming or arrival. And it refers to the coming or arrival of Jesus into this world. It's said that Christians are to use these four Sundays to prepare for Christmas, uh, remembering its real meaning. And we have the wonderful use of the scriptures. God gave us his word. In Luke 2, we read, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. John, John 3.16 helps us to understand why Jesus came into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, he explains this a little bit further by saying, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's where our hope is, the reconciliation that we've received through Jesus Christ with God the Father. In the 1940s, there was a Lutheran pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you may have heard his name. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the first people to call for churches to resist against Hitler's persecution of the Jews. And for his efforts, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned by uh, imprisoned in a German concentration camp and was eventually executed. Bonhoeffer has written a treasure of information, of literature, that I highly recommend for you to read. You really need to, to, to read some of his things. But interestingly, in one of his writings, he's referring to the Advent season, which we're celebrating now, and he quotes Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, which says, Now when these things begin to take place, and here he's speaking about the specific signs referenced in the preceding verses, Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, when considering the Advent season, why does Bonhoeffer 
refer to the pa- this passage that Luke is telling you to look up and raise your heads? Well, during that time that Bonhoeffer was alive, it was a time of war in the 1940s, and there was a not there was not a lot to be hopeful for, particularly for those people that he was surrounded by at that time. People were being imprisoned, they were starved, they were beaten, they were killed. But the message he preached was for the people not to be downcast. Look up. Raise your heads. He proclaimed something that we all need to remember every day of our lives. And that is, Christ has come. And as a result of his coming, we have been created a new people. We are to act as if we have something to live for, as well as something to die for. As we look up and we raise our heads, we gaze away from the troubles of this world. We recognize that our redemption has arrived when Jesus left his place in heaven and came to earth as a baby. Through the sinless life and the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from our alienation with God. That's where our hope is. Our relationship with the creator of the universe has been restored thanks to Jesus. But in his message, Bonhoeffer tells us that the Advent season is a time for celebration. But he also reminds us of one other thing, that we are in a season of waiting. A season of waiting. We are waiting for the last advent, the time when Christ will return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And those who believe in him will be taken up to spend eternity with him. Praise God. Advent prompts us to take each or take time each day in the month of December to remember that Jesus came to this earth for one reason and one reason only, to save his people. Luke 19.10 states that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters and because of you, and because you are sons and daughters god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and a daughter and if you are a son and a daughter then you're an heir through god so at this time while we're celebrating advent while we're remembering all that's been done for us, remember, too, that we are preparing for the last Advent. Every day we are preparing for the last Advent, which is the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And sometimes it's hard for us to remember or to visualize what that, what that second coming will be like. 
in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it gives us a glimpse of what that second coming of Jesus will look like. In, in Revelation, John wrote, Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in the righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of an iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will return with us with might and glory, and what a hope we have in Jesus. Advent is a time for all believers and their families to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah as well as prepare for his second coming. We're to celebrate the wonderful gift that has been given to us by our Lord Jesus as we experience the joy of Christmas together. Titus helps us to understand what we are celebrating through this verse, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So when we're thinking about preparing for this season, what type of preparation do we need to have? I personally believe it's, it's necessary that we prepare our hearts. We have to think through all of the things that Christ has done for us, remembering that circumstance that he has gone through to save us, we realize the significance of Christ's birth in this world, his sinless life for us, his tragic death for us, his resurrection, his ascension, and the need to be watchful for his second coming. Always being mindful and prepared for that day, that last advent, that he will come and take us home. What hope we have in Jesus Christ. Now, Marty spoke about this a few minutes ago. I want to go over it again just a little bit. The candles of the advent wreath that you see here today have special significance. The lighting of the candles signify that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, be honest with you with me. 
when we've, writ, we've lit the Advent candle before, how many times have you really thought about the significance of the wreath, the candles, what it truly means for us? The wreath is circular. It represents God's infinite love for us and that Christ, our life in Christ has no end. And they're usually made of evergreen leaves, which represent the hope of our life in eternity brought to us by Jesus. The four candles represent the four weeks of the Advent season. The first candle for the first week represents hope, and that's what we're talking about today. The second candle represents peace. The third candle represents joy. And the fourth candle represents love. The center candle is the Christ candle, which is usually lighted along with all of the other candles on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day as we celebrate. And when we do this, we can rejoice knowing that Christ has come. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So in each sermon of this Advent season, we'll be discussing the significance of what each candle represents. As I mentioned before, the first candle lighted today was one that signifies hope. And we'll be taking some time to understand hope from a biblical perspective. Theologian R.C. Sproul writes that the Holy Spirit is a sign of hope that we need to recognize, as well as our sustainer of hope. The Holy Spirit fulfills the role of comforter, girding up the believer in strength and hope, encouraging the believer to pray to the Father, Your kingdom come. In Paul's letters to the Romans, he explains that scripture, the things that were written before us, teach us so that we can understand the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 4 states, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The scriptures show us where our hope is from and who is the sustainer and the comforter of giving us that hope. The Bible explains that we can obtain hope and that the hope that we do obtain is the hope that God himself provides. In the Old Testament, we read that the prophets relied on the promises of God as their hope. In Genesis 3.15, we read the first promise of a redeemer by God. He said, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah, the prophet, looked forward to that hope, to the coming of the Messiah. And in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, we read, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal 
of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What wonderful hope we have. As Isaiah was looking forward, dreaming of the coming of the Messiah, he had hope in knowing that God would bring about this wonder. But we have the opportunity to look back on this prophecy. And we're able to understand that what Isaiah was looking forward to has come to pass. We've seen it. We read about it. It is true. And our hope is not in vain. Isaiah's hope was not in vain. The hope of Isaiah has become a reality for us. And we have hope which comes from knowing the reality of Christ's birth. We know that what God promised to the prophets of old regarding the Messiah, the Redeemer, God has fulfilled it. It's been done. Furthermore, because we can see that the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled, we have hope because we know that all of the prophecies of the Bible that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled. These days when it seems that evil is triumphant and we have hope in knowing, or we have hope in knowing that our God is mighty and he's sovereign, his promises are true, and Jesus' second coming will be fulfilled just as it has been promised. The source of our hope is knowing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. We have to remember that. We have hope because Jesus has promised to bring us home. A sinner who recognizes that he is saved by the grace of God, one who recognizes the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, is a person who has the ability to have a or to live a lifetime with hope without Jesus a person has no hope with Jesus a person has all the hope that they will ever need to navigate through the troubles of this world Charles Spurgeon once said my hope lives not because I am a sinner but because I am a sinner for who Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, Christ is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in Christ and who he is and what he has done and what he is now doing in me. Having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is our only source of true hope. He, this is declared in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in Christ, which, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, how does this apply to us today? particularly when we don't feel hopeful because of circumstances that are going on in our lives. 
when I'm counseling someone who is feeling hopeless, someone who has experienced unprecedented sorrow, they may be experiencing loss or pain or something's happened in their life that they just can't get through. The one thing that they need more than anything is hope. Hope that things will change. Hope that things have a purpose, that they have a meaning, that we're not just going through this life just to go through the actions, just to suffer for no reason. Showing them that there's hope is key to making them or helping them through this trying time. People are looking for some sort of explanation. They're looking for a reason. They're looking for whatever, whatever answer they can get for the circumstance that they're going through at the time. And sadly, when they're looking for these things, they look in all the wrong places. They believe that drugs, that alcohol, that another person, that work or shopping or eating or traveling, you get the gist, right? Anything else can fill that void, that hole that they're feeling in, feeling in their life. They're just trying to find relief for these experiences that have negatively affected them. Sadly, what they do is they see that hope is the things that they experience in this world and they don't see where true hope is. This is not true hope. Hope is to come from someone who can provide a solution that is lasting and that is real. And there's only one source of hope that is true and that is lasting. And when we recognize that we have a God who loves us enough that he sent his son to die for us so that we might be reconciled to him, we have the foundation of knowing that someone more powerful than us, someone that is mightier than us, someone that loves us and cares for us more than anyone ever will, can take us through these circumstances and provide for us hope. Now, you might be thinking, Scott, I know that this is true. I know it, but sometimes I don't feel it. I, I understand. Sometimes we don't feel God's presence. Sometimes we don't understand what we're going through in our lives. We don't understand why God is taking us through a particular circumstance. Many of you know that Loretta and I purchased a business years ago. And we prayed faithfully for this business. We prayed constantly before we purchased it, after we purchased it. We wanted to make sure that what we were doing was going to honor and glorify God. We had our church praying for us. We had others praying for us. Uh, Everything seemed to fall into place. But it wasn't long after we bought the business that the trials began. The restaurant was not making as much money as we thought that it was. It was hard to support our family's needs. We found out our employees were stealing from us. 
We couldn't sell our house in Anderson, so I had to drive to Asheville from Anderson every day to run the business. And as we looked at buying a home in Asheville, we couldn't sell ours. And if we, even if we could, the cost of housing in Asheville was so expensive that with our new income, we couldn't afford a house up there. Now, one of the primary reasons that I purchased this business was to provide for my family. That's godly, right? I'm, I'm to provide for my family. I prayed about this. I, led the, I laid the foundation in prayer. I wanted to have more time with my family. I wanted to spend, uh, have something for the boys to be able to, to move into. If they didn't want to work for somebody else, they could work for themselves. And by the time that it ended, it ended up that all of our wealth was invested in this business. We took everything and invested it back into this business only to close it. And all I could think about during that time was, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in our lives? I I was faithful. I tried to, to do everything the right way. Hope was gone for me because the things that I had placed my hope in was not in God, but it was in myself. Everything that I was trying to do was my own abilities and not what God was doing for me. And Actually, these circumstances went on for about 10 years, and, and um, spiritually, I guess the thir- first three or four years were the hardest. I went through a, a trial, a, a desert experience that I hope that nobody would have to go through. But again, I realized that one of the biggest problems that I had was I had no hope in the person that could provide me with hope. I didn't trust what he was doing in our lives. You know, he gives us verses through the scripture. He gives us his word in the scriptures that we can rely on. In Romans 8.28, if I had just really thought about this, Romans 8.28, we know that those who love God and work, or we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, that those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I wallowed in my own self-doubt and focused on what God was not doing for me. All this time, I should have been wondering what God was doing in my life through this experience. God takes these experiences, these, these trials, these tribulations, this suffering to draw us closer to him, to help us to understand that there's more in life rather than just our own desires. That he has something that's bigger, that's grander, that fits within his purposes. It may not fit within our purposes because our purposes are, in many cases, self-focused and sinfully motivated. Throughout that time, rather than drawing close to God, in my pride, I pulled away. And because of God's love for me and the prayers of Loretta, my wonderful wife, 
my eyes soon began to open. The horrible circumstance that I experienced had actually become one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me. I can tell you now that I think one of the mottos that I live by, glad I did it, never want to do it again. I am so glad that God brought me through this circumstance because now, now I can get outside of myself. I can see the hope that he provides. And even though we pray about circumstances, he shows us when we're praying in vain. My prayers were in vain. I was talking about my own things. I was asking God to bless my own attempts at life. And the whole time he was saying, I've got something better. So throughout that period of time, the suffering, he drew me closer to him. He gave me that ability to understand that even though it hurts, he's going to take something good or make something good out of this circumstance. He's going to make it better. We have hope in knowing that he does that for each and every one of us. It wasn't just about me. It was about him. And God wasn't only working in my heart. God was working in all of the hearts of the people that were around us. We tend to think that when God works, he's only focusing on, okay, what's he doing in my life? Why isn't he working in my husband's life? He is. He's working on everybody's life around us through these circumstances, working to draw them closer to him. While suffering through adversity, have you ever wondered if God really does love you? I did. The Bible talks about God's sovereignty and his love for us with equal emphasis One is not greater than the other. Because of God's love, it is an essential part of his nature that he is good to us and that he shows us mercy. Sometimes we forget that he has promised us that no temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that. What hope we have that no temptation can overtake us, that through Jesus Christ we are his. And even though we're suffering, we're going through this trying time in our lives, God gives us the ability to be able to endure, to move forward. Sometimes we can misunderstand what God is saying to us in this verse, though. He's not saying that God will not allow struggles in our lives that are more that we can bear. I don't know about y'all, but that struggle that I went through was more that I could bear on my own. It's struggles that we bear with the help of Jesus Christ that gets us through these circumstances. He allows us to bring these or to have these struggles in our lives to be able to come closer to him and to rely on him to walk with him the desert experience that i went through was one that i am so glad that god allowed me to go through because of this time 
I was able to see the wonderful love and patience of our God. And I can trust and have hope in what he says and he does. I can embrace what Paul has written in this letter to the Romans. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God helps us to grow our faith and trust in him. The suffering that we have produces that endurance which produces character and produces hope. And we have hope when we have confidence that something is true. We have hope in our circumstance when we know that the outcome will be okay, no matter what happens. That hope comes from a faithful character, and it is faith that helps us to trust in the one who loves us more than we will ever know. Jerry Bridges talks about whether he has a comment that he makes that if you were like me and wondered whether or not God loves you. He said, we're not even to allow such thoughts to enter our mind. To question the goodness of God is to imply that man is kinder than God. To suggest that man is kinder than God is to subvert the very nature of God. It is to deny God. And when we begin to deny God and his love for us, we need to remember who we are. It's because of his grace that we are loved. And apart from Christ, we have no claim on his love at all. God loved us when we were completely unworthy. And there's nothing in us that caused him to love us. We don't deserve his love or his goodness toward us. When we begin to doubt God's love for us, we should go back to the cross. Because of Jesus, we are God's children. Bridges also makes a wonderful comment, Jerry Bridges. If God loved me enough to give him give his son for me or to die for me while I was his enemy, surely he loves me enough to care for me now that I am his child. Having loved me to the ultimate extent of the cross, he cannot possibly fail to love me during my lifetime of suffering. There's an infinite, measureless amount of love that is poured out upon us because of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.39 tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And this is the foundation of of our hope. We have an all-powerful God who loves us immensely. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins, that we might be reconciled to him. He is holy. He is righteous. He does not lie. He is sovereign, and he has promised that in his providence that all things, good and bad, that happen in our lives somehow in his wisdom, in all-powerful and all-knowing abilities, these circumstances will work out for the good of those of us who love him. When I was going through the trials that I spoke of earlier, and to be honest, 
I only skimmed the surface. I had to learn to focus on God's promises through his word. I had to remember who God says that he is. Now, I've said a few things that make it sound like I did everything. I had to focus. I had to do this. I had to do that. It's not the case. Realistically, the only thing that I could do was humble myself before a mighty God and ask for forgiveness and rely on him to change my heart from the rebelliousness that I had to obedience. Hope comes from realizing that God will keep his promises to us and that he has the power to do so. He loves us more than anyone will ever love us, and he has promised that he will deliver us. Our greatest hope is that no matter what we experience in this life, we know that he is returning. And for those of us who serve him as Lord, we will spend eternity with him. Now, some of you may have questions. Some of, some of you on the webcast may have questions that you're unsure of your relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're unsure that he is your Lord. Why wait any longer? You can have the hope that only he can provide, and you can have it today. Please contact me or Pastor Marty, anyone in our leadership team, if you have questions, if we can answer these questions for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We have hope that, that you will bring us home. We have hope that this time that we have here through trials and tribulations actually have purpose, have meaning, and they make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And they help us to reach other people for your sake. God, through this time, some of us are sad. Some of us are in deep sorrow. Some of us wonder what you're doing in our lives. Father, give us peace. Give us hope. Give us joy. Give us faith. Give us that ability to be able to know you in a more meaningful way. Just as you did for me, Father, I pray that you show that it's not about me. It's about you. It's about bringing others to you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.